All right, everyone. Welcome back to another Paperboy podcast interview. I'm your host, Brandon Marlowe. Each interview is a companion to the podcast I created around the same topic and will aim to shed further light or give a different look at the issue. So make sure you check out this month's research piece, episode one, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Today, we're going to be discussing how we can learn to cut through propaganda, how we can wake people up in this time of peak polarization, and where we, what we can do for ourselves and our families in the time of COVID-1984. I can't think of a better person to help us break down all that and more than our next guest, Ricky Verandas. Ricky is the host of the Ripple Effect podcast, which is a laid-back, long-form, honest conversation between Ricky and his guests. And the thing that I love about it is it really feels like Ricky is there to learn as much as the listener. Ricky's also one of the OGs of the Union of the Unwanted, a collection of alternative media that aims to tackle important issues of the day, from censorship to vaccines to human trafficking. I've really enjoyed that show since it's come together, and I look forward to it every other week. So let's get to it. Ricky, thanks so much for doing this, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for being with me. I really, or th- I'm used to saying that. I'm not used to- <laughs> thanks for having me is what I meant. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's, it's a pleasure. So, I mean, just since I've never had you on before, I thought we could do a little bit of background. What was it that first uh, woke you up to the official narrative kind of being bullshit? Yeah, well, it's funny because I, I think all of us that, I guess for lack of a better term, that have been uh, red-pilled or see things deeper than that, the average person, we're always curious on like, how that happened to other people but i've spent a lot of time also trying to figure out how that's happened for myself like what was it what what was uh, uh the trigger was it a documentary was it uh, a artist was it you know what was it something to do with the way i was brought up and i'm not sure there's a straightforward answer you know i i think it was in many cases it's probably a combination of things which kind of goes into why I think long form conversations and, and talking about maybe what sometimes may be controversial issues are worth having because you never know which conversation sticks with people and what may change their perspective, what exactly ends up being that thing that, that kind of uh, chips away at their narrative or, or, or the way they perceive the world. And I think we all we all help and contribute with that as, as we have these conversations and, and talk to people we know or whatnot. And with myself, it was, I think a lot of it was uh, probably a little bit of music. You know, it was a little bit of, of, you know, we kind of talked about it before we started recording, just how when you're a musician, you spend a lot of time analyzing how you feel and why you feel a certain way. And you're trying to tap into certain emotions or whatnot. And, uh, you know, and, and I think those same tools and those same, I guess, exercises that you use to kind of figure out how you feel about yourself and, and, and your life and, and those type of things, you kind of start using that to understand the world around you. And I was also always super skeptical. I, I didn't like rules growing up, you know, even now with my kids, I'm, I'm kind of like that where I, uh, I'm like, unless it's like something where they're going to hurt themselves or somebody else. I'm kind of like, yeah, who cares? You know, like my wife would be like, you're just going to let them do that. I'm like, oh, who cares? They're having a pop school at nine o'clock at night. Who cares? You know, it's like, it's not, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll be hard on them when, when it, it's really necessary, you know? And cause when I was a kid, I remember that I didn't, I didn't like rules and I can't, and I know that contribute to me questioning things. I know that that contribute to me you know, not just going along with the herd, but asking why, why, why do we have to do this? Or why is this acceptable? Why is that not acceptable? Or why do we believe this person and, or, or, or whatever it may be. And, uh, but I can't, you know, I've tried to really pinpoint what 
what made me that way or what, what was my first impressions, the, the, the earliest memories of me really questioning things to try to figure out. And, and I'm not sure because it's like the chicken and egg. I'm always like, well, was I questioning things first? And then I, it led me down these rabbit holes that, you know, for lack of a better term, conspiracy theorists, uh, documentaries and alternative media and all this stuff. Or did documentaries and all those things lead me to question things? You know, it's like, I don't know what came first or, or whatnot. I, I like to believe that it was me kind of being skeptical of things and, and questioning things and always wanting to go against the grain. I remember as a kid in school, always, you know, a teacher would say something and I'd always have some smart ass response about like, well, why do we have to do it that way? Or why is this important or whatever? But, um, but I, I really truly think that artists and musicians and creative people in general are probably more likely to, to question things and question the narrative and, and tr dissect things and try to really understand things for what they are. And then, it, you know, a lot of other things like, you know, we talked about one, one minute silence. I had the, the singer on my show, uh, Fear Factory. Uh, those are two artists that were real influential in my upbringing and, and kind of their music kind of made me look at things from different pers perspectives or whatnot. And then movies like, Loose Change, you know, was one of them. Zeingeist, you know, Jason Burmis was one of my first ever guests. I think he was on like, in, in the single digits, he was on um, really early episodes. And his documentary was so influential to myself and so many other people in regards to like, it's not about it being factually 100% correct in every aspect of their opinions in that documentary. But it was about the fact that it planted the seed of doubt that maybe things aren't what they seem. And, uh, and Zeingeist did a similar thing. I remember giving out, uh, like having copies of Zeingeist and giving them out to people. It's like, hey, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. And, and then if they're really religious people, I'm like, hey, fast forward the beginning and then go to the part, <laughs> the rest of the part because you might not even give the rest of it a chance because yeah. uh, you might be offended by the beginning of it. But um, it, it really was about social con control, you know, the, even the beginning of it. I think that was the point of Peter Joseph was uh, this idea of like, through religion or through other means, there's ways of controlling the masses. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it was, it was documentaries and, and podcasts kind of became my, uh, my next love afterwards. You know, I really loved the fact that it sounded like I could get honest discussions about interesting topics that I liked. I was, um, you know, stuck in, and I can't kind of am still stuck in like the everyday life of like nine to five, my hours are seven to, to, to three or four or whenever the hell I get out of work. But it's, uh, I was stuck in, in that routine. And then I was driving a lot and the commuting kind of, it was one of those things where it just, why, why not, uh, do something valuable with that time? Why not do something that's worthwhile instead of just commuting and, listening to the same old music, even though I was a musician and loved music, I, I, I got into these podcasts and Joe Rogan was one of them that really was the most influential one because it was the one that had the most interesting topics because he was a comedian. He wasn't, um, he didn't really seem to have a philosophy or agenda that he was pushing. And, uh, and so I liked that. I, I, I liked that. And it was refreshing. You know, when you put on the TV, when you read a newspaper, when you do anything else, you, you run to people who have, agendas and and are trying to sell you something or push something towards your direction so it was nice to to kind of um just hear podcasts and then little by little i'm like you know what i'm stuck in the grind of doing this i, I don't really feel fulfilled 
let me do something in my life. Let me do something that's worthwhile. Let me do something to kind of, cause I felt like something was missing after I stopped playing mu- music. I really did feel like something was missing in my life. Like I, I wasn't content with just going to work and buying material things to try to make you feel better uh, or whatnot. I, I just, you know, I, until this day, I still don't, don't really like my full-time job, but this makes it worthwhile and all the other things that I do make it worthwhile because I feel like I'm contributing something. And um, so, and then I, I started doing podcasts with a buddy of mine who was my co-host at the time. And I'm just like, Hey, you want to record us talking? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, who, one, why? And two, like, who's going to want to listen to that? And I'm like, I don't know, but I think there's some value in it. Uh, I find value in hearing other people challenge and share ideas. And I think that we can do the same thing. And uh, little by little, I, I got really lucky. I had some really generous guests who, that were willing to come on when I really had zero platform. Like Douglas Ruskoff comes to mind, Jason Burmis, James Corbett, Dan Carlin was on really early, um, Lee Camp, I think also. So I got super lucky and it just started building. And uh, and really, like I said, it was, I think a little bit helped the fact that I already had microphones and, and a mixer and I, I was playing around with pro tools and then I knew how to uh, work it more or less. And, uh, so it kind of made it for an easy transition, but if I wasn't doing that, I I think I'd have to be doing something because I just needed, there was a little bit of a desire to do something creative again. And there was also a desire to do something fulfilling in regards to like, honestly trying to make a, a difference and trying to do something. And I believe me, I had a lot of people who said, People, I mean, some people didn't even know what a podcast was at the time because it was like seven years ago. But other people were like, well, who's going to listen? And how big of a difference do you think you're really going to make or whatnot? And uh, now I get emails all the time. I get people hit me up on all my social media platforms and just tell me about how much they need my show or appreciate my show because they're hearing the conversations they wish they could have in their personal life with friends of theirs. And, And I think that's a big aspect of podcasting. I think people kind of feel like, you know what, like, I can't talk about these issues with friends of mine or family. And I don't feel like anybody else feels the same way I do. I just sound like Oasis. But, <laughs> but uh, so I think podcasts were, were that thing. They, they were that thing where, where it's like, oh, shit, like, these are people talking about the things uh, I want to talk about and, and saying things in the way that I would say them and feeling the same way I feel. And And during the coronavirus thing, I mean, the lockdown my my show and i think a lot of people who were kind of saying the same things and, and not afraid to go against the grain their shows were blowing up because so many people needed that for psychological reasons and i think a lot of people who were home just stuck home um not you know stuck most of the time we're stuck in in especially in the east coast where i live in massachusetts new york new jersey like the whole new england area it, people live such fast-paced lives they don't have time to research they don't have time to to know what's going on in the world and now they did and um and i think you know i think that was probably why documentaries like pandemic and so many other uh things were being suppressed because people actually had time to research it and if they could actually get access to that information it might change the way they look at the world and i think that's why there was such a huge effort in and making sure that didn't happen because it's like well no people actually have time now to research and people are googling these terms and people are looking into vaccines or bill gates or who you know dr fauci's history or whatever and um you know i just went on a long rant 
and I'm not sure if I even answered your question. <laughs> oh man, that was, that was perfect. And it was just, I wanted to touch on Joe Rogan real quick since you, you brought yeah, yeah. him up. And I mean, he was kind of my, one of my first podcasts I was getting into as well. And uh, one of the things I loved about him and I, I still do in, in a sense, but it feels like he's a lot more like reserved now, let's say, let's to, in, to, to put it nicely, right? You can, you can tell that money is starting to factor in and that the weight of sponsorships is really starting to press on kind of the things you can, I, I, anyway, I feel like he's able to say, or that he's uh willing to say just in terms of it being like it's not even live anymore they're doing it you know they're they're pre-taped and with the ability to edit and those sorts of things it just feels like once you bring money into the situation it uh, it changes things for for the worse no matter what which is why these podcasts are, are nice like just the, the, the ability to have a, a conversation with you or people like you and um you know it's it just from a selfish perspective it's like in, in my own life my family i can talk to you i've got a few close friends that i can talk to about this stuff but i work in a huge place and, and most people are going to take the shot immediately when it's out there right and that's just kind of the world that we live in so um yeah i'm just really grateful to have you here but i'm just curious what, what your thoughts are on rogan see so i've had a lot of people on my show that that have been on rogan's show and uh and believe me i'm, I'm with you because he re he really was one of the the first shows that I got obsessed with that I really got into and he exposed me to so many other cool people. I mean Daniele Benelli was one of my first guests on my show because I heard him on the Rogan podcast. Dan Carlin was one of the first guests on my show because I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast. So without a doubt he's uh I wouldn't say red pilled anybody, but he might have definitely expanded people's perspectives on the world and exposed them to some really interesting characters like uh graham hancock and so many others yep. and obviously you know he's not he, he wouldn't stray away from conspiracy theory conspiracy theories uh being discussed on a show because why would you still have eddie bravo on it from time to time yep. but uh eddie bravo was also on my show you know he's he's another guy that uh you know I got to know or whatever from um, starting my show or whatnot. So I know, I know some people who know him and they seem to think that, and there's some evidence to believe this or, because he has, if you listen to his show, which I don't do it as often, nearly as often as I used to, because there's so many other great uh, shows out there and it's hard to keep up with what's going on and, and keep up with all the shows that I subscribe to. But if you listen to, there's been episodes of late and, and, definitely throughout this whole coronavirus thing where you, you hear him complain about, you know, YouTube censorship in regards to getting in trouble. The, the, the whole not going live thing, I was skeptical about it at first, like why, what was his incentive? What was his reasoning, his logic? But it sounds like, and he, I, he's kind of given hints to the fact that it had much more to do with just YouTube pulling down his videos because they played a clip of something that they were discussing or played a, a clip of a song that they were talking about. And, uh, and he was trying to avoid all those headaches. And um, so I think money probably did have something to do with it. Cause obviously if the video gets pulled down, you lose ad money. Mm -hmm. But I also think it was just because it was some extra headaches. Now in regards to like the vaccine thing and some of the other things that he's kind of uh, gotten some shit for. And when I had Del Bigtree on my show at the very a couple times ago. It wasn't when he was on the Union of Unwanted uh, episode, but it was he was on my show as a solo guest prior to that. At the very end, I asked him about like, hey, we got to get you and Joe Rogan because he's having all these other shitheads that are pushing one narrative. Why not have some, why not be fair and have somebody who has a different perspective and uh, let people decide. And, um, and he came out and said, Joe Rogan's a pussy. <laughs> I mean, his exact <laughs> terms at the end were, and, and I'm quoting him directly. I mean, Joe Rogan's a pussy. Uh, he will not have anybody from our side on. Apparently, Robert Kennedy Jr. has made an effort to go on there. Um, I guess Del Bigtree has made an effort. And I mean, these are people who are 
pretty famous. I mean, they, they, I'm sure they have some mutual friends, maybe agents, managers, who knows, um, mutual friends where they can definitely talk to his people and get on there if they wanted to. Uh, Joe Rogan's had people that are much less famous than people like uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. or Del Bigtree. And so initially, I, I must say, like, it bothered me because vaccines is definitely um, one of those issues that I'm real passionate about. And I, I just think health, nutrition, medicine, um, all these things are just uh, topics that I've always been really intrigued with and, and, and passionate about. And it, and it bothered me quite a bit. I mean, it, it got to the point where I'm just like, fuck Rogan. I mean, I felt like, you know, these guys are really making an effort. I mean, I just heard it right from him that they're making an effort to go on and he's not returning any calls or whatnot. But and then, you know, I talked to some other people that I know that know Rogan and they're saying that they, you know, and again, I don't know if they're not confirming it because they know and they don't want to, you know, they don't, they don't want people doing what I'm doing and saying that, Hey, this person said this, uh, or they just really, it's just a, a, a hunch, but a much better, uh, guess coming from them because they know them personally. Uh, they're saying that it's because of all the censorship and, and because he's been so afraid because this was before the Spotify agreement. And it kind of makes sense now a little bit, the, the theory that the, it's all the censorship that's, causing him to not give the other side a voice and eventually maybe he will so maybe that's what it is like he, he's just trying to milk the youtube cow for the time being knowing that eventually he'll go to spotify and that will be the majority of his uh listenership and money and income will come from there then he won't have to kind of deal with the bullshit of youtube i, I want to believe that's true i want to believe that when he goes to spotify he he won't be afraid of having somebody on i mean he does have Eddie Bravo on. He he's had Alex Jones on twice, so he's not afraid of having. But the, you know, I guess the other counter argument, right, would be, well, he's only having people on that go way over the top. Yeah, and flat maybe, Earth and Alex Jones, right? Exactly. You know, so one of those things where like, oh, well, nobody's really going to take it that seriously. And then when you know, in regards to having somebody credible, I. I shouldn't say credible. That's because I don't want to offend Eddie Bravo or Alex Jones because they both do their part. And I think in regards to, you know, waking people up and, and, and just kind of getting people to look at issues they might've not looked at, mm -hmm. but, but somebody who I think the average person would, would find more credible who, which is, you know, and really focuses on that only that issue or, you know, issues are similar to that. And uh, so I wonder, you know, I'm curious, I'm, I'm, I want to believe, you know, like yourself, I mean, he was a huge influence of mine, you know, uh, his show, like I said, was one of the first shows I really got obsessed with. So I want to believe after hearing hours and hours of hearing somebody talk and have discussions, you want to believe you kind of know, you have a good idea of their character, you want to believe that he's a sincere person. And, and I, I mean, that's one of the unique things about podcasts. I remember uh, talking to Christopher Ryan, and he, uh, you know, he, he talks about it, how he meets people and they know more, they know everything about him and he knows nothing about the person he's meeting. And they feel like they're friends because they've been listening to you, share your ideas and perspectives and all your opinions and having hours and hours of uh, discussions. And um, so with that said, like, I kind of feel like the majority of us who have listened to many, many Rogan podcasts, especially because they're so long, it's hard to to fake who you are for that long. You know, you want to truly believe that you talk for two, three hours and you hear enough of those two, three hour conversations, you're going to have a pretty good idea of who you think this person is. I'm not saying that 
we couldn't be wrong, or maybe this specific issue, he's just different than others. But I, w- I want to believe that, you know, he is open-minded and that he has and will look at all sides of an argument. And um, so, I mean, I guess we cross our fingers and hope that, uh, you know, p- people who are close to him, who are, who are saying that, you know, once he goes to Spotify, things might be different. And it really, it's the YouTube censorship that's really causing all this. I mean, he has been outspoken about the YouTube censorship and his dislike of them censoring doctors and people who are giving nutritional advice that can help uh, strengthen your immune system. So, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I, I definitely think that uh, there's some evidence there to believe that that theory might be correct, that maybe he is just waiting, you know, waiting till he can kind of give the, the full F you to YouTube and, uh, and go to Spotify. Yeah, that'll definitely be the true test, I guess. We'll find out come next year. We'll see what, what it actually looks like there. And uh, you, you're right about him having Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson on. I think that uh, debate episode that they did with Michael Shermer was really good. And just the fact that he's open to those sorts of ideas shows that he's still open-minded. But uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm definitely curious to see what's going to happen there. Uh, I thought we transitioned just a little bit into the, uh, the propaganda proper talk here. I wanted to read you a little quote from uh, Jacques Ellul, uh, 1965. It says, quote, We are here in the presence of an organized myth that tries to take hold of the entire person. Though the myth it creates, pardon me, through the myth it creates, propaganda imposes a complete range of intuitive knowledge, susceptible of only one interpretation, unique and one-sided, and precluding any divergence. This myth becomes so powerful that it, it, it invades every area of consciousness, leaving no faculty or motivation intact. It stimulates in the individual a feeling of exclusiveness and produces a biased attitude. The myth has such motive force that once accepted, it controls the whole of the individual who becomes immune to any other influence, end quote. And just when I, when I hear that, it just, it's, it's so hard not to think about the corona situation that we're in now and how hard they're pressing on the masks and all of the other areas in all facets of society, right? We're seeing it in TV commercials now with, with people with masks on when they go to the grocery store and showing the happy family unmasked at home, right? It's just, it's absolutely pervasive. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, some of the uh, older documentaries that we talked about what kind of was a huge influence. Another one was Adam Curtis. He did a, a great documentary called A Century of Self about Edward Bernays and, Love that, yeah. and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a less known filmmaker in the U.S. I, th- I think in the U.K. and Europe, he's much more popular. But in the U.S., I, I think a lot of people probably aren't familiar with his work, but he's done a lot of really great documentaries. I don't agree with him on everything, but, uh, but it's funny because, you know, another person that's kind of similar like that is uh, Noam Chomsky, right? Because he, he manufactured consent. I mean, he talks about Edward Bernays. He talks about propaganda. He talks about um, controlling the masses and using propaganda or whatnot. But then they're also like, he, for in regards to Chomsky, he's like 9-11. That's ridiculous to think it's an inside yeah. job. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You're talking about like controlling the masses and, 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 and talking us into wars and doing, you know, so many different things. And yet, like, this seems hard to believe. Like, it just, it, it uh... Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my point is you don't have to agree with somebody on everything to, to at least uh, agree that they've done some good work that's worth checking out. And, uh, but, but yeah, pr- the power of propaganda is super important. I did a, a uh, interview with somebody from this documentary called The Corporation, which I think when it came out, it was like the, the best selling uh, documentary in like Canadian history. It was a, a Canadian filmmakers. And, and I think eventually Adam Scorgi 
the the culture high about uh, the war on drugs and breaking that record, which he, he was another guy, a Rogan guy who uh, who's uh, been on my show. But that documentary, they really dissect how corporations, the science, psychology, all the techniques that go into getting you to want something, buy something, desire something. And, uh, you know, I guess you, you can't talk about this stuff without talking about Edward Bernays, because of course, you know, as the the nephew of Sigmund Freud, he really, you know, he wrote the book Propaganda, um, public relations. You know, anybody who goes to school for public relations, you're you're learning about Edward Bernays's techniques, and uh, and yet very few people understand that his techniques were used for many other evil things, like selling us wars and and um and buying stuff that we don't really want or need, uh, because he just understood how to manipulate our desires and. You know, some of the techniques he used, you know, in regards to, well, he understood that a lot of times we're not buying things uh, or you, you can buy things for other things, for other reasons that aren't conscious. You know, there's subconscious uh, things pulling at your uh, desires and, and wants and needs. And, and also, sell, he's selling you not the product, but the feeling the product gives you, the image the product might cr- create. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to like, for example, you know, you look at like car commercials, uh, GM, they do a truck commercial. What, what, what do they use? They use a really deep voice, country sounding guy. Why? Why? Why are they not using that voice when they're selling the Cadillac? Because the Cadillac, it's usually a British accent. So what they're selling you isn't just the product itself. They're selling you the image, the image that that product will create. They'll, they're selling you the fact that when you buy this truck, people are going to think you're rugged and you get your hands dirty and you're this country guy. So it fits that whole image. When you buy that Cadillac, it, it, it's people are going to think you're you're a CEO, you're a businessman, you're you're you have your own business, you you're uh, you know you have all these luxury things and and you're doing financially really well. So it's they're selling you the image, and these techniques are used for everything from selling cars to selling wars to selling uh, just about anything. And that's why I think in many cases there's a there's constant battles going on that we're not even aware of. And, you know, you watch a commercial, you um, watch a movie, you know, there's all these little uh, tricks that they use to get you to think a certain way or feel a certain way. And even if they're n- not on purpose, right? I mean, even if they're not on purpose, like all these things are, are causing us to, to, or at least they're molding our perspectives on so many different things and, and the way we look at the world and whatnot. And um, that, that's why p- parenting, for example, I think is, is super important to be as involved in your kids' lives as possible because if you're not influencing them, all these other things we're talking about are, right? It, the, the school system and, and who created the school systems, um, the TV, commercials, uh, social media, which, you know, are, are hiring psychologists to, to understand how to get you to keep clicking and keep coming back for more. So propaganda is everywhere and it, it, it's affecting us at all times. And I think it, it takes a lot of stopping and, and self-reflecting and trying to understand why am I doing this? Why do I want this? Uh, to, to really fight back. Another great documentary uh, by my friend Richard Grove from Tragedy and Hope is a state of mind, the psychology of control and, and a lot of great people in that documentary. Um, and it really go th- it goes through the history of how they try to control the masses and, and uh, all the different techniques of propaganda and whatnot. Uh, but the psychology of control, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, people in power are dissecting methods and, and trying to understand 
how to get us to do certain things or vote a certain way. I mean, you look at politics, politics is all propaganda. The, the speeches are written a certain way. Why? Because they're trying to get you to think that they feel a certain way or, or that uh, they have certain beliefs or whatnot. So it's like, you know, we, we're, we all know that they have speech writers. We all know that they have certain messages that they, that they uh, use, not because not because they, they necessarily think that's the most important thing I should focus on, but because this is what my team is telling me is a topic or a message that I should focus on because it gets me more votes. So, I mean, it's, there's propaganda everywhere and people need to, to kind of understand that and, and to fight back. You have to, I think, get, get to the root of why you believe something, you know, question yourself as much as you question other people, you know, we should question ourselves. I think especially in the alternative media community, you see it with us, you see it with, with just about any community where people just join the team and they're like, well, I'm the, you know, um, 9-11 was uh, lasers. Uh, the, the towers came down by lasers uh, tribe. That's my tribe. So I, that's what I'm sticking to. And um, or JFK, you know, has a bunch of different perspectives on uh, what people think happened or who they think did it. And um, so, I, yeah, I think we, we should always question, you know, because as people in the alternative media community, we're constantly questioning government narratives. We're constantly questioning the media. We're, we're questioning uh, corporations if they, uh, their moral compass. But how often do we question ourselves? How often do we say, well, why do I believe this? And why do I, you know, why do I lean this way or in that way or whatnot? So um, I think music, like we talked about, is, uh, is a you see a correlation between musicians or people who are creative and and being skeptical of things and, and looking below the surface but i also think that people who love philosophy you know the same thing like people who who because i mean philosophy is just literally just questioning everything and then those questions are never really answered and and that's kind of what makes it interesting is that they're never really answered it's the same questions being reused over and over again and people debating them over and over again and uh, that's the way people should look at everything and, and including themselves yeah, I think, I mean, just for, for my journey here, I, I um, like spirituality is a huge part of it for me. And that's kind of where I came to all this from is, is being in my early teens and dealing with some depression and anxiety and stuff and just trying to figure out kind of where the answers lie and going through Eckhart Tolle and then up through some uh, different channeled materials. And uh, you, you kind of learn that consciousness exists outside the body and that goes completely against the, the mainstream narrative. And so once you start to uh, understand kind of that side of things, it feels like uh, it really gives you a way into to looking kind of behind the veil. And uh, I think being able to do, you know, whatever your practice is, whether it's mindfulness or anything like that, you can really pick up on your own thought patterns and why you have certain beliefs. And I think that you're right. I think doing our own internalized work and on belief work, especially is probably the most powerful thing that we can do to kind of improve our own lives, right? You start to, to understand the impulses that are being channeled and you can cut them off at the past instead of just, you know, rocking through those things. But it's funny now I've, I've got two kids, right? I've got a, a two and three year old daughter and you start to try and look through things, look at things through their eyes. And it's, it's like, okay, well, I guess we're not doing TV. <laughs> once, once I started reading some books and you see kind of how the, the, the flashing screens really impacts their development of, of their lizard brain, right? It trains their amygdala to be more more impulsive, they, they higher levels of ADHD, all these kinds of things. And so now, you know, we've basically stuck that path for the most part, you know, we get 30 minutes of Mr. Rogers now and again with the girls because it's, it's hard to, hard to dispute like his intentions but uh, you know I, i'll take my girls to the park for example and i see the way that they act compared to kids that you know that are just stuck in front of the tv all day and there's a drastic difference and like i, I don't think that's just my parenting i think that's that's taking them away from the influence of tv right 
Yeah, as as a parent, and my kids are aren't too far from uh, the age of your kids. I have uh, my daughter's turning four this week, and my son's five. And uh, yeah, without a doubt, I mean, so many of these issues become more important after having kids because it's like in regards so many of of the people in the like the gmo community or the vaccine community they're pissed off moms they're passionate moms who are like you know maybe they ate like shit when they were growing up but they're like well now uh, i i don't want to hurt my child there's nothing i love more than my child i i want to really think out everything that i'm doing in regards to them and um, so let me question these things and, and really get to the bottom of these things. And, and that, that's why they, they really are some of the most uh, passionate people in regards to some of these topics. Uh, you, you look at GMOs or Monsanto documentaries. I mean, there's always women, you know, and, and uh, same thing with vaccines. You know, there's a lot of uh, moms who are just in, upset because their kid got hurt or they think other moms could be making the wrong decision and, and getting injured. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think when you're a parent, you, you analyze all these things, you start, I think some parents, you know, they're just like, oh, well, that's the way I was raised. So I don't care, you know, and, and I also think it's lazy parenting, right? I mean, it's much easier to put them on their tablet or in front of the TV for hours a day than it is to actually spend time talking to them and, and playing with them or whatnot. But like, I think most kids it wouldn't be hard. Like when people are like, Oh, my, my kid doesn't want to go outside. He's on his tablet all day. I'm like, well, are you going outside with them? Are you playing with them? Because guess what? Like if I was growing up and my parents said, Hey, go outside. And I was a only child and I had no friends who lived on the street. I had nobody to play with. I'd be like, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to go inside and play video games. You know, I'm like, I, it's, it's more fun than just being outside doing nothing. So, you know, I see it with my own kids where like, I have no problem getting them outside. If if I say, you know, if I'm if I'm busy doing something like getting dinner ready or or, or whatnot, and they want to watch a little TV and play with their toys, I'm cool with that. But the second I say, hey, you know what? Let's go outside before dinner and and let's play. That's what they'll, they'll put everything down to them. Mm-hmm. Human interaction, enjoying something with others, is uh is much more fun. They understand that. So uh, a tablet is fun when it's a last resort. But if they had other people to interact with and play with you know, that's their first resort. That's the first thing, uh, their first op- option. And, you know, I always try to have people over the house and go places with them and uh, give them new input. You know, I remember um, my wife and I, we bring them just about everywhere. And, and sometimes my mother's like, oh, you know, I'll watch them if you want to go run some errands. I'm like, no, I'll bring them, you know. And uh, and I- I'm always thinking like, okay, when I travel and I'm getting new input, right? And uh, I'm seeing new things, new environments, new people, new signs, new everything, you know, um, buildings. Uh, I'm, it's sparking kind of a, a different pattern of thinking. I'm, 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 it's sparking some uh, me to get out of my routine of like being in my comfort zone and seeing all the same things every day and whatnot. And it, it kind of provokes thought and, and whatnot. So I think with the kids, a probably similar reaction where if every time they go somewhere new and they, they're looking around and they're observing their surroundings, it's probably doing some good to their brain in, in regards to just seeing the same cartoon over and over again or playing in the same yard over and over again um, and, and doing all the same things. So uh, I think it's super important. Yeah, bring your kids out, get, if, get them away from the TV. And I think in many cases, I hate to say it because I, I'm sure some people would maybe disagree with me, but I think in, in just about all cases, if your kid won't go outside it's probably a little bit of your fault you know find something fun for them to do i mean yesterday we had a couple kids in the neighborhood at my house and uh 
you know, I got a bunch of soft balls. And I'm like, hey, you guys ever play dodgeball? And and then we got some cones. <laughs> and we created a line. I'm like, hey, we're, let's play dodgeball. And I and they were having a blast. You know, they like we couldn't get them in the house. You know, and we couldn't get the neighbor kids to to, to leave. And uh, but it's it was because they were having fun. And so it just it just takes a little bit of effort. And of course, if so I, I do think sometimes it's lazy parenting and the long-term effects of, of those things, you never know what they are. We all deal with some type of trauma, right? We all deal with some type of uh, something that maybe was accidentally caused because we don't know how exactly your kids are going to handle something, right? Like, so we discipline our kids a certain way, assuming that like, okay, they need tough love or, or maybe with this kid, uh, he doesn't need tough love. So let me be a little uh, easier on him or whatnot. Um, and, and, but you never know, like, long-term effects when they become a, a adult they're like dad you know when you used to do that i used to hate that or when you know or um i used to get so mad when you did this or that you know so it's like we all have certain things like one of my traumas is growing up kind of poor uh when we came to america we uh like my mom was always stressing about money money was always a topic was always a hot topic at home it's like how do we save more of it how do we appreciate it? You know, it was like, it was constantly like other kids had nice things. I never had it. So I'm just like, fuck, man, I hate money. Cause it's just like, it's always stressing us out and it's always um, uh, the topic. So in my personal life, I am horrendous with money because I'm just like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anything to do with it. Like my wife, I'm like, are the bills paid? Do you need money for the bills? Here. I don't even, I don't even want to look at them. Like I want to spend as much as my mental time um thinking about things i enjoy uh pondering on things that are going to help better help me better understand the world or myself and if it's not that like i only have so much bandwidth you know i'm not you know i'm not this uh super you know intelligent person i would say that can like just get you know ha gather all this information all at, at all times and i mean i really envious the people who just can you know, have super stressful jobs and can handle it and have all these things going on at once. To me, I mean, I, I think most of us could probably do that. But for myself, if I can avoid living that type of lifestyle, I'm mentally in a better place. You know, I'm, uh, I can, I can just focus on the things I enjoy. I mean, you don't get to hit the reset button. You know, when, when this journey's over, it's over, you know, and uh, well, we think, I mean, it could be wrong, of course, <laughs> but, um, but this, at least this material world that this life that I, this journey that I'm on, uh, as we speak, it, it, when it's over, it's over. And I want to spend as much time possible doing the things that bring me some type of pleasure or joy, experiencing things. And, um, and I understand that there's things in life that are necessary. You know, you have to have a job, you have to find some financial way of, uh, of staying afloat. But you know what, you don't get caught up in that shit. You know, you want to talk about propaganda? How about the propaganda of the American dream? The the fact that what brings you happiness is getting a high paying job, buy these material things, get the new car, get the white picket fence, the big house, and, and all of a sudden you'll just be happy. Well, that fucking journey isn't for everybody. And a lot of people go go down that path thinking it's going to bring them happiness, but there's a lot of sacrifice to get there. It's sacrifice of stress, which can have a huge um, negative effect on your body and, and, and health and, and mind. And then there's also sacrifice of time and there's nothing more valuable than time. You know, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. And when that time's up, you're fucked. Like you, you, all you can do is, is reflect on your life and say, Hey, I wish I spend more time with my friends and family. I wish I spend more time and uh, taking pictures of my kids and going to my kids soccer practice or, and, and seeing them play. I mean, I try, and, and it's funny. Cause like my father, 
Um, I'm, if you have more questions you want to ask before I continue just talking, uh, oh, let you, me know. No, no, go ahead, man. You're killing it. Yeah. But uh, my, my father, when I was growing up, he, uh, he never really cared about going to my soccer practices or any of my practices of, of any sort, you know, and it wasn't, you know, I don't blame him because, he, you know, you were a creature of our environment. And he, I'm sure my grandfather was equally as poor in, in regards to being at, involved in his, his life. But um, so, you know, he, 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 he did what he thought a father did. And that's pay the bills, go to work, I get home tired, kind of leave me alone type thing. And, um, and when we have to work on Saturdays from time to time, we have a little family owned construction company. I'm always like, Hey, if you can find somebody, I'm not interested. He's like, Oh, well, you don't need, you don't need money. I'm like, I'm like, it's not that I don't need money. I'm like, I, my, I'm like my son at, at the time, you know, my son was having a lot of his things on Saturdays and I'm like, no, I want to go to his martial arts or I want to go to his basketball thing. Or I want to go whatever. And you're like, Whoa, you don't have somebody who to uh, bring him. I'm like, dad, you don't fucking get it. It's not about, it's not a chore that I need to get out of. It's something I actually, and it was like, it, it was like this, this, this point in my life where I'm just like, Holy fuck. Like I understood he didn't really get it, but I didn't understand to the extent of it because right. now I'm a father and he's looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, what, you know, wouldn't you rather be at work making some money than, than, and it's just like, he just didn't understand my, my perspective. And, um, you know, I almost feel bad for people. Uh, I shouldn't say almost, I do feel bad for people like my father who maybe, wasn't his own fault because he like i said he i think he did what he thought fathers did um but you miss out on so many enjoyable moments in your life because you just feel like that's the mother's job to to bring them to their things or or whatnot and uh and and you're missing i mean just for example my son had soccer practice this uh he started this monday and um he had this you know this he did this this move that he does and he cro like kind of crossed this kid over and then scored with his left foot which i'm always like hey you got to practice with your left foot and he looked at me and i was there and i was so happy to be there like that when he looked up and he knew i witnessed that with him like it 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 touched me and it touched him. And you could tell like, there's this moment that's like, he was so good. Cause it's like anything in life. What good is it enjoying something? If you don't have people you love to enjoy it with, you know, like I used to get mad at my wife. Cause I, we would have people over for like a UFC match. Right. And, uh, and then, uh, I, I always have people over for the UFCs. And then like every once in a while, my wife's like, hey, you know what? We had a busy, hectic Saturday. Let's just watch it ourselves. We'll just have some drinks. The kids will hang out. Uh, we'll have some ice cream or whatever. And we'll just, uh, and next thing you know, she's out cold, you know? And I'm watching the whole UFC by myself and something amazing happens and everybody's asleep and I have nobody to talk to about it. And then next morning I give her shit about it. I'm like, what the fuck? I, I should have had some friends over because I'm like, you know, you were sleeping and I'm like, it just wasn't as enjoyable when the big knockout comes or the big upset comes. And I'm like, oh my God, did you see that? And everybody's sleeping, you know, it just, and it's just having somebody there. It sounds, you know, it, it just to, to enjoy those moments together. And I mean, I've definitely, this type of thinking has fucked me in so many ways in regards to like, I don't take advantage of opportunities to, to get ahead. I could have a, a little nicer house. I could have a little newer car. I could have a lot of probably financial things if i took advantage of of every financial opportunity i had if i took advantage of every um instead of spending so much free time hanging out with my kids 
uh, bring him to the parks, uh, br- going to the store, like, hey, let's just go to, to the Walmart and get a new toy. You know, you guys haven't got a toy in a while. You guys have been great. Let's go get a toy. We'll, we'll you know, uh, let's do something together, and then we'll go get dinner, and we'll have a, a fun day together. Um, you know, to, to me, the, that's what life's about. You know, that's, yeah. you know, when our material, when our physical bodies are done, the, o- the only thing that, that's still alive and well is our legacy is the way people remember us the memories that we've created together the the impacts we've had on people's lives i mean that is the ripple effect that is uh, us having a you know the, the the conversations i've had with my kids will hopefully impact them and help mold them into better people and hopefully they take some of the things that i hope that i, I could teach them and and they can use that to mold people younger than them or other people around them or whatnot. And um, so to me, that's, that's what it's all about. That's way more important. You were talking about spirituality. Uh, I think yoga and a lot of other hobbies that got really popular, um, you know, IPAs, everybody's into IPAs now and, uh, and bourbon. I, you know, I love bourbon, but I think it's not just those specific things. It's about, the fact that it brings people together it's the other things you get from it right like we all go to yoga i get to see my friends uh we have i I don't go to yoga but but, you know but the people who do or my my wife goes to zumba for example it's like it becomes a community right it it, uh which is one of the reasons why i think people like churches right it's a community you see the same people you feel like we're friends if i need something i can uh they'd help me if uh if they need something i would help them um you don't feel alone in the world um and you know, the, during the coronavirus lockdown, that was one of the things that pissed me off the most. It, it wasn't just the fact that, you know, you did you prevented people from working and whatnot, you know, whatever, you know, that, that's, if, if we have to be locked down for, if we honestly had to be locked down for a month or a couple months, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. You know, if there's this really a threat that we should be concerned about, I'm okay with that. But don't, tell people stay away from your friends and family don't go see anybody uh quarantine um you know let us know if people are hanging out at parks and and let us know if uh people are having a a get-togethers like all that public shaming when you're turning people on uh one another and the need that there is for for social interaction it, it is so great with humans i mean i i forget what her first name was but something costa she was a, a author and and researcher and, and whatnot, who's been on my show uh, some years ago. And I remember her telling me this because it stuck with me because I'm like, wow, that, that kind of seems like a lot, but I guess it makes sense. She talked about how humans are at their happiest and more efficient when they have like six hours of social interaction throughout the day. You know, so like it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, a lot of people who dislike their job, they put up with a lot of shit at work or maybe a stressful job or a boss they don't like because there's other people that they like there that they get along with that they they look forward to seeing um i think many of us podcasters like like you you said something about being selfish like a a little bit is like yeah i want to change the world i want to make an impact but a little bit's also because i get something from it and i enjoy it and i get to reach out to people that i find in, interesting and uh and have a excuse for them to sit down with me for an hour i mean i can't even find you know, friends of mine who live, you know, down the street to, to, to take an hour out of their day to talk to me. So, I mean, now I have a justification to do it. It's like, hey, uh, you, you get to pick at each other's brain and thoughts and, and, and whatnot. Um, so uh, w- when you're doing that to people, people who are going to AA, right? People who, who didn't have that community to keep them 
clean and and uh, and and away from any substances. Um, people who just need church, not just for the spiritual reasons, but just because they liked the community. They saw people that they they liked and they got along with. Um, I also think that the mask thing and and the separation thing was also to pre- prevent people from discussing what the fuck was going on. Because mm-hmm. honestly, um, my wife will tell you, uh, for better or worse, I'm uh, very outspoken with my ideas and opinions. And um, I, I'm, I think I'm less than I, I was when I started the podcast. Uh, but when somebody says something that's incorrect, I'll feel the need to be like, hey, you know what? Like, that's not actually right. Like, uh, the tests aren't accurate or you know, the science isn't settled. And, uh, and when you talk to people, even at the height of the lockdown, when we're going to a restaurant, getting takeout, you're six feet away from somebody and people are like, isn't this fucking crazy? I would be like, Oh, you just sparked a conversation with me. Let me take this moment (laughs) while we're stuck in line to tell you my opinion on what the fuck's going on. And it's just, uh, amazing how many people are like, Oh, you're so right, man. This is so blown out of proportion. This is so blown out of proportion. It's like everybody believed it, but nobody was talking with one another. And, and because nobody was sharing these thoughts with one another and, and nobody felt like they, nobody knew that people felt the same way they did. Uh, it was super easy to control people and get everybody to just go along with the herd. And um, I guess I kind of brought it back around to propaganda. <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was great. And you just you had me thinking about the uh, the American dream there. And, and something that I, I think about quite often is that, like pushing women into the workforce. And, you know, I've got no problem with women working, obviously. But, you know, in, in the 60s, you could support a household on one income you know, or, or the fifties, let's say. And, and, and now that's a, that's an absolutely privileged position to be able to do that. Like most families need both parents to be working. And so you're leaving the kids to the state or whoever it is to be educated by them, whether it's the TV or an uncle or aunt, if you're lucky, but usually is into daycares and then into school. Right. And so that it seems like we get further and further detached from our own children and being able to raise them. And I'm totally in agreement with you on, on experiences being the most important kind of vital part of our life, especially when it comes to raising kids, man. Like I was raised by a single mom and like I didn't get those interactions with with my dad in the same way that you're talking about with your kid and obviously I'm trying to bring that to to be something that's important and I want them to always know that that's important in our life right I want them to understand that I'll always be there for them and I'll make sacrifices in terms of financial gain or whatever it takes in order to to be there and, and be present for them but it just really seems like the, the propaganda is, is pervasive from the state just in terms of, of trying to push these things that, you know, they'll spin it like it's, it's benefiting the, the woman to be in the workforce. And sure, it's great that they can, but it's not necessarily great for the family as a whole, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, and I, and I think it's on purpose, right? Because a lot of these broken families are kids who, you know, you, you see it all the time where kids come from what people will say, oh, they come from a good family. I'm like, well, what's a good family? Does that mean that like, they have high paying jobs, they have good careers, because I'm like, that's one aspect of their, uh, uh, that's one job. The other job is parenting. So they might be good at like the other life stuff, but the most important job they might suck at. They might never be present. They might never have time or energy to spend with their kids. And um, which means who's influencing them. If it's not you, it's TV, it's media, it's whatever uh, music you're listening to or whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's super important to try to carve out as much time as possible to spend with your kids, even if that means maybe you don't have the biggest house or maybe they're going to have friends that have more material shit, but they're going to they're going to appreciate it. You know, I always say, like, my kids don't give a fuck if I if I raise them in a one hundred thousand dollar house or a one million 
dollar house. Like they just want me to be around. They, we, they like interacting with me. Thank God for the time being <laughs> until they're teenagers. Um, they, they like seeing me, they like playing with me. They like, uh, you know, having conversations with me. And, um, and, and to me, like, that's the most important thing. And the fact that I make time to do those things uh, is awesome. I mean, even my wife, for example, she works Thursday and Friday nights uh, at a restaurant. And uh, so a lot of times I come home from work and then we kind of, you know, basically we tie by, you know, she goes to work and I come home and I watch the kids. And I love Thursday and Friday nights because it's just me, you know, there's less distractions. And I think it's good to have that one-on-one time with your kids mm-hmm. and uh, to, to be able to really have those deep conversations, even if you just go for a drive and it's just you two and you can kind of have those deep conversations. Um, at least for me, it seems like those, when those, that those are the moments when those deep conversations happen. And, um, and it, so I, I love that. I love just having the ability to even do that. And I, I remember thinking to myself sometimes, I'm like, well, if I wasn't, if I was at work every day till six o'clock at night, and then basically I just came home to kiss my kids to bed, um, k- k- kiss them goodnight and call it a day, then who the fuck's influencing them? Who, who are they going to go to with these questions? Who are they going to go to that some type of guidance and, uh, and to help explain maybe a part of the world they don't really understand. And, you know, I'm not the best at at explaining things, but I'm glad that I can be a part of that process. I can be a part of uh, helping mold the way they look at the world. And, um, and yeah, I mean, so it just, it really is, it's such an important topic. Uh, I think parenting has become one of those things where we, we, there's a a great book called, uh, what the fuck is it called? It's by Michael Sandel. And um, maybe it's what, what money can't buy maybe, but, uh, it, you know, he, he says this thing where he's like, you know, we went from um, having a capitalist economy to having a capitalist society. And it's like where it's all about making money. Like that's literally like that's your life goal. That's what your priority should be. That's what your that's how your whole life would should be, I guess, built. It should be built on this idea of like all your actions, all your moves, all your decisions should be based on how do I get more money? And does this help me get more money? And uh, that's why I'm turned off by salesmen. I'm turned off by businessmen, people who are like, I feel like are trying to sell me something, you know, like I love London real and I love, um, uh, value taming with Patrick David. Uh, but they're both good shows, but, and and they do a lot of, you know, obviously during the COVID-19 thing, they, I I give them a lot of uh, props for having people on that were as controversial as Robert Kennedy Jr. and Del Bigtree and um, Dr. Judy and and whatnot. But, uh, but Jesus, does it turn me off when Brian Cowan's like, you know, join our team and, and, and we'll, we have this plan to help you succeed and, and, you know, blah, blah, you know, I just like, I'm like, I don't know, man, just like do what you love. And, and they're, they're, people are going to learn how, you know, from your conversations, people are going to learn how to do those things. Per, the way you pursue a, a fulfilling hobby or passion, that's going to be inspiration for other people to do it. You know, just talking about that. And um, anytime somebody's trying to sell me something, it just, it, like I said, it just turns me off. I, oh, I just feel like, yeah, you, know, you get what I'm saying? You ever talk to somebody and you're like, this motherfucker sounds like a salesman. Yeah. I'm like, he's. He's not selling me something, I don't think, but I'm like, he sounds like a salesman. The way he pitches things, the way he, yeah. you know, I don't know. It just, it just rubs me the wrong way. I just feel like I can't trust them. You know, like I, I just want somebody, I'd rather somebody who, who is less well-spoken and, and, but sounds sincere, you know, to, to yeah. me, I'd rather listen, listen to somebody like that or have a discussion with somebody like that. 
it's funny with uh, with Brian Rose from from London Real. I get the exact same feeling, man. I really enjoy his conversations, but I'm you know I subscribe to his uh, his email or whatever, and he's so pushy in in terms oh, of you know trying trying to get you into his sales funnel right at whatever point. And it's like, man, I'm just give me pyramid. a break. Join yeah. my pyramid scheme. You know, it's like exactly. I'm not saying it doesn't work. My my thing is like when he oh we'll teach you how to do how to uh, how to start a podcast. It's like wait wait. wait fucking google it like you it's not that hard to start a podcast like we can like we can figure it out like most people can figure it out and and you know there's plenty of people online putting out free information on how to do it i mean i think some people do need inspiration you know like you need somebody to like like, you know, you need that. Some people are really into those motivational speakers, which I, I'm not. I'm like, you know, just like, you can do it and go out, you know, go out there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, okay, I guess, you know, I mean, I guess it's the equivalent of like listening to um, a heavy metal song when you're working out, you know, it like pumps you up a little bit. But, um, but a lot, but my problem with the motivational speakers is that they're really, in many cases, tr just trying to get you to focus on how do I get how do I help you make more money? Let me help you make more money. Let me teach you how to make, it's all about that. And I'm like, wait, 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 you got it all fucking wrong. Like that's not going to bring them happiness. That's going to bring them financial wealth. But are you focusing on also telling them that, Hey, do something you love. Like, even if you don't make more money, you know, if it, how many people have taken a promotion that pays better, but is more stressed just to regret taking that promotion because you're like, fuck it. I was way happier when I was making less money. I should have asked you way, uh, like an hour ago, if I could swear on this show. <laughs> but, oh, you're good. You're good. And, um, and how many people look back and they're like, you know what? I wish I, I didn't take that promotion because I have less free time. I'm going home stressed and, and it's affecting my relationship with my kids. It's affecting my personal life. It's affecting all this stuff. And who cares if I make a little bit of fucking extra more money? I make more money. I'm just going to spend it on something else. Like, okay, I'm going to fucking, you know, subscribe to something I didn't, I couldn't afford to subscribe to, or I'm going to get HBO now. Woo -wee, you know, I got HBO now, but now I'm more stressed at work. So it's like, it, we, to me, it's like, yeah, it, it, it is a, I, I've said it in one of my songs, it was a lyric where I, I called it uh, the sabotage the American dream. And it really is a sabotage American dream where the, you, you, you're sabotaged to think that if I do these things, it will bring me happiness. It will bring me success. How, but their definition of success is narrow and only works for some people, you know, and some people will never be happy, no matter how much money, you know, they have or power they have. I mean, look at Donald Trump or any person who already has fame and probably plenty of financial wealth. And yet it's the addiction of more and more and more keeps them going and keeps them doing things like, you know, I mean, I, I don't think Donald Trump or any politician went into politics because they want to change the world for better. You know, I think it, it was an addiction to money and power and more fame and more money and more power. And, and that's the next step. That's the next uh, road to, to more money and power. And it becomes this monopoly game. We're just like, well, I'm going to, um, you know, show everybody that, uh, you know, I can get to the pinnacle of money and power, you know? And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, these, and these are all things that, I think are important because even the way we look, we talked about like the way we looked at, at our lives and all that stuff. I mean, the way we look at our lives and us analyzing our thoughts is also going to affect the, the way we talk to our kids. And, and when we describe things to the kids, so it's, it's important to self-reflect and, and understand why you believe certain things or why you do certain things. Because if not, there's going to be times where you're going to discipline your kid for something you probably shouldn't have or you're going to um, tell them not to do something or, or get frustrated with them when you really should. It's not even a 
a problem with them. It's an internal issue. It's maybe because some trauma you're dealing with is causing you to react a certain way. And uh, so I think we all need to pick up on that as much as possible. Because if not, then, you know, we're going to be traumatized kids, traumatizing kids. <laughs> yeah, you just pass it down for sure, man. It goes generation to generation. I mean, you, you see that with, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Gabor Mate, I think, or, 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 or Gabor well, Mate, the, uh, the guy that was... Uh, Rupert Sheldrick also talks about it and he, he's yeah, been on my yeah. show. He talks, there's a study, I think it's called uh, Inheriting Father's Fears. And it was a study where they sprayed a scent and, uh, and every time they sprayed the scent, they would shock the, I think it was a mouse uh, and they would shock it. And it was a scent that was uh, something that they would never uh, interact with in the natural world. So it was this completely like synthetic uh, scent and they would shock it. And then for two generations later, uh, if you sprayed that scent without ever doing this experiment, their kids and their grandkids would would have the same panic reaction where uh, they oh. smelled that scent and knew something bad would happen. So without a doubt, like it's more than just hair color, eye color, whatnot. They're inheriting a bunch of other things from us that we're we're not even sure yet or understand. So just kind of keeping it on on children for a second, I, I know you've been pretty vocal about your kids not being vaccinated and I'm in the same boat with mine, but uh, how do you approach those conversations with people? Because I know at work, I you know, people kind of know me as the conspiracy guy around my work just because I'm, you know, like I listen to podcasts at work and you get excited. So you start talking about people and trying to share information and you kind of learn pretty quick who's got an open mind and who doesn't. But it's kind of funny. You'll get people that I'll, I'll get people come up to me when it's one on one and be like, oh, hey, what's really going on with whatever, right? What do you think about this, that or the other? But one issue that I've had the hardest time cracking is, is just vaccines. Like people seem to be so programmed into thinking that one, they're safe and effective and two, they're beneficial and, and that we need them. So, I mean, how do you how do you come across those conversations and how do you handle them to kind of at least keep their minds open about it? Yeah, well, one thing I think we have to do as people who question vaccines is to let people know that that's what we're doing. We're questioning them. We're not saying that all of them are bad. We're not saying that even the the, the theory of, okay, you inject the virus in somebody and then they create the antivirus and it helps their immune system or whatnot, like that alone kind of makes sense and we get it. But we also understand that people are different. People uh, can be exposed to the same thing and react completely differently. So one example I like to use sometimes when I'm talking to people about this is like, if I give every kid peanut butter, like most people will be okay, but it's going to be a murderous weapon to some kids, you know? So does that mean that I'm anti peanut butter? Does that mean that if I say peanut butter can kill some kids, does that mean I'm anti peanut butter? Does that mean that peanut butter is dangerous to everybody? No, but we understand that. And it's not, something controversial to say but yet if i say vaccines which most people aren't familiar with the ingredients that are in it most people um don't know that there's a, a vaccine court that gives that's given out tons of money to vaccine injured uh, uh well families of vaccine injured kids then you know most people just aren't familiar with these things so you, you try to chip away uh, logically and try to say well does it is doesn't is it scientific to say that the same cocktail of ingredients in a vaccine will have a safe and effective result to every person who injects it. It just, it's not scientific because you can't say that about anything that's on this planet. There's nothing that I can give to every single person that people will have the exact same effect. So why would vaccines be like that? Another thing I talk about too is how, it's funny how we, we can find 
example and example of pharmaceutical companies being criminals, like legitimately getting in trouble, getting sued, having to pay fines for fucked up things that they do, uh, selling drugs that they knew that were on that were unsafe or vice, you know, ton, tons of different thing, examples of, of stuff like that. But yet they hire all the moral people and they put them together in their vaccine department. Like how ridiculous does that sound? Like it's the same people, <laughs> Pfizer, Merck, all these people who are doing things based for based on, on profit, uh, increasing profit and making more money. Those are the same people and the same business practices that are used to make money in the, in the vaccine department. It's no different. And um, so, yeah, it, it is a hard conversation because I think a little bit of it is we're all a little sensitive when we talk about our kids. You know, we all want to believe that we're, we're good parents. We all want to believe that we're making the right decisions. We want to believe that however we're raising our kids is because this is the best way to do it. And, um, you know, we all get a little defensive when, when, uh, people say, Oh, you should do this or you should do that, you know, or, or, uh, or you shouldn't hold your kids so much. You shouldn't do, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, so I think a little bit, uh, the reason why it's a little bit of a trigger topic is because we're, a lot of times we're referring to our children, or at least we, we think about, you know, our, our kids when we're having these conversations. And, um, but I also think a little bit is people are afraid of thinking like, could I have made a poor decision that could have had some strong, very dangerous consequences uh, with my children? And I, I think that's scary. That's a scary thing to think about. I've, I've had friends of mine who have come uh, come up to me, and many of them, you know, like you said, privately, and said, oh, "I feel so bad that I vaccinated my kids. I feel so bad." Like, and I'm like, "Dude, you you were basing your opinion on information that you had, <laughs> unfortunately." you're that information is minimal and you're not seeing the other side of the argument it, you know and this is again one of the issues that i have with joe rogan because because he's so influential and there's so many people listening to that show and uh, i mean the millions and billions of people listening to that show when you have somebody who's pro-vaccine on your show and then people are going to assume that you're pro-vaccine because you haven't had anybody on on the other side of the argument I hate to say it. There's a lot of people who don't think for themselves. They're going to vaccinate their kids because Joe Rogan is on your team. He's on the, it's okay to vaccinate your kids uh, team. So he's having a huge impact on the, the decisions that people are making. And um, so I, I think, yeah, without a doubt, it's a very hard conversation. I try to let people know immediately that I'm like, I'm not anti, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm just, uh, I think people should have the right to do whatever they want, but people should have access to all that information so they can choose that, make that decision wisely. And, and I, and my biggest problem and the reason why so many people in the vaccine movement are so passionate is because of that, because of the fact that we, we know that information is being suppressed. You know, you look at, uh, um, Zach Voris, who's been on my show. He's a Google engineer. He's been on a bunch of shows. Um, who he was a Google engineer who's kind of became a whistleblower. And he talked about how there's certain topics that are blackballed that Google's not letting you uh, hear that argument. They're not letting you Google the, that information. I mean, uh, today I'm actually going to have, uh, in, actually soon, I'm going to have uh, uh, Dr. Brian Hooker on, which I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was from in the Vax documentary. Uh, he was the guy who had a vaccine injured child who, um, was a scientist, very uh, knowledgeable in regards to his ability to read science and understand science. He ends up contacting the CDC and he's like, hey, uh, can you 
give me some some of these studies. I want to kind of go through the data or whatnot. Gets hooked up with Dr. William Thompson, who becomes a CDC whistleblower, who's an author of uh, some studies. And he's like, listen, I'm going to give you some stuff. And uh, because I feel guilty every time I see a autistic child, knowing that these studies have been suppressed from the public makes me feel guilty. He eventually recorded these phone calls. I mean, these phone calls with a CDC uh, a doctor who was the author of many studies, uh, recorded these phone calls, got the data sheets, got the research or whatever, uh, eventually went public with it. And, um, and, you know, I'm about to have him on. I mean, th- th- this is, uh, I'm losing my train of thought because I, I think I made up, I was getting to, to a point that I was going to make. But uh, regardless, my point is, you know, it's somebody like him, you know, he, he's going to be called the anti-vaxxer. Um, Robert Kennedy is going to be called an anti-vaxxer. Del Bigtree is going to be called an anti-vaxxer. I get called an anti-vaxxer. And all I'm saying is why – oh, that's, that was my point. My point is that I was like, oh, let me look up the uh, old interview that uh, Brian Hooker had on uh, with Del Bigtree. Or let me look up an old interview Brian Hooker had that, uh, we, you know, with this on this show or that show or whatever. Mm-hmm. So because um, I was – while I was working today, I'm like, oh, just play it in the background. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find, could barely find any information on him on on, uh, on YouTube or online. And uh, so uh, this is the problem. The problem is somebody who is completely unaware of of both sides of the argument. Even if they want to do their own research, they can't even get the information. So right. they're this is propaganda, right? Because if you can control people's uh, the information people are getting, you can control the decision that they made based on the information that they get, right? So it, it's it's quite easy to see how they're controlling people. So a lot of people during this COVID-19 thing that are, became much more aware of this vaccine topic and much more open-minded, I should say, to this vaccine topic, I think it kind of worked in our favor. It worked in our favor in regards to people who who just want to push information. I want people to to be able to watch the Vax documentary. I want people to be able to hear the CDC whistleblower story. I want people to, to know about the vaccine court and all these. And then you, you decide like, okay, is the risk of my child getting this disease uh, and possibly being harmed by it, is that greater or is the risk of my child getting hurt by this vaccine? And actually, my kid might not even get this disease. So I'm risking, I'm putting them at risk when to, to, to prevent something that they might not even get in the first place. So you know, t- to me, those are all internal dilemmas and debates that you should be having. But after getting all the information, most of the time people are going to see their pediatrician, their vaccine pushers, they're going to, most of their job is vaccinating kids. I mean, that's literally like just the first couple of years of your kid's life. That's literally like the only reason you're going to the pediatrician is just going to get vaccinated. And, um, and they'll scare the shit out of you. They'll keep telling you that like, if you don't vaccinate your kid, this is going to happen. That and, and I saw that firsthand. And that's why I am so outspoken about like, hey, these are my kids. They're unvaccinated. Uh, yeah, you know how your pediatrician said that, like how dangerous it was. These kids are healthy as a horse. Neither of them have uh, are ever sick. They're they're you know they're cognitively there. They have energy. Here's an example. Here's an example of what happens when you don't vaccinate your kids. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Just like if you do vaccinate your kids, nothing may happen. But understand that there are circumstances where something does happen. And that's the thing. Like, let people know that. Let people know that you can not vaccinate your kid and nothing can happen. And you can also vaccinate your kid and nothing can happen. There, you know, th- there's possible risks in, in both regards, but they're not telling you that. What they're telling you is the only risk is you not vaccinating your kid. The only risk is you're, you're putting your kid in danger if you don't vaccinate your kid. That's 
you being a bad parent. That's you, um, you know, uh, uh, risking them getting sick or whatnot. It's like, that's, that's why I think this issue is, is so, so important and becomes such an important issue because one, nothing has been censored almost as, as more than the vaccine issue. And then also it, it, it kind of, blends in with the censorship issue it blends in with uh, the big pharma issues and uh and i think today big pharma is probably our biggest threat to our own personal freedoms and liberties because they have such influence on these politicians and on the media and everything else that um you know i think a lot of people in the alternative media community that would have been talking about wars and and geopolitical issues a few years ago are now much more concerned about the vaccine issue and uh, the pharmaceutical industry issues that uh, that we have today with censor- censorship and, and, and pushing drugs and pills on us and our kids. I mean, now they want to give kids drugs earlier and earlier. Oh, my, this kid has HGHD, ADHD. He has this, he has that. And, you know, it's like, well, is, is there natural Restless way? Like syndrome, right? Whatever, whatever they can come up with to, yeah. <laughs> to, to give people a new drug or a new shot. Create the disease and then you can create the, the pill to give them for it, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think that's the huge problem with the media kind of being able to, uh, to be kingmakers in terms of who the experts are, right? And like a, an example I like to use is the, uh, those uh, America's frontline doctors. You know, they were, they were all over the internet talking about hydroxychloroquine for about, you know, five minutes until they got scrubbed from all the major platforms. And then uh, I'm not sure if you've seen this part that uh, so Squarespace kicked, kicked them off their website, right? They, they, they took them down. But then the CDC purchased America's frontline doctors.org and redirects to the CDC website. What the? F- are you serious? <laughs> you can check it now. 100%. Yeah. Holy it's shit. like it's, it's so subversive, right? Oh, my God. That's crazy. That, it's, <laughs> it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's why if they have phds if they practice medicine why the fuck is their opinion not as valid or at least not worth listening to i've said this to dr uh scott jensen who's just on my show you know and i've said it uh to Dell big tree and a bunch of other people it's completely acceptable for us to get a second opinion in real life in your own personal life if you get a second opinion for you know because you feel like you're misdiagnosed or whatnot it's completely okay for doctors to disagree, but in this issue, no, they can't disagree. We can only believe these doctors or anybody else is a lunatic. It's, it's crazy, you know? And, you know, I, I mean, obviously the demon sperm thing did not help a lot. <laughs> it didn't right, help. right. But they totally discounted the 11 other doctors there that are completely yeah. credible. And even like that uh, Stella Emmanuel, man, like they're, they're totally discounting the 350 patients that she's treated, probably more now, just because they found the one thing that she was preaching. And I guarantee if you went into any, any pastor's or preacher's place, you're going to be seeing similar things, right? Like they're, they're going to be talking about biblical shit. It's nothing to do with their medical degrees. Like that just drives me insane. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. It's, uh, it's nuts, man. It, it is. I mean, like I said, I think this is definitely one of the, the bigger topics and one of the biggest issues, especially when like Massachusetts, they just mandated uh, the flu vaccine for kids going back to school or whatnot. So it's just like, it's, it's getting in your personal life. It's, you know, it's like what they used to say. It's like, you might not care about politics, but politics care about you. You know, they get, yep. you can go, go along with your life, you know, ignorance is bliss. And you think, Oh, I could just avoid politics my whole life. And it's like, you can't because w- w- the decisions that are being made and the propaganda that's being pushed is affecting all of us personally. Well, uh, Ricky, man, I want to be respectful of your time. So I, I thought we could wrap it here, but thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It was a pleasure to get the chance to talk to you and maybe you could just let everybody know where they could find you. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, RV Theory Six, you can uh, is my Instagram, Twitter. It's my YouTube channel, RV Theory Six. Uh, I, people, are, I know people ask me, they're like, why is it RV Theory Six when it's Ripple Effect Podcast? Because I already had all these accounts when I started my music project. My music project was Theory Six, and it, that I actually wrote a song called The Ripple Effect, which ended up sparking the the name for uh, my podcast. So it kind of continues to be that. But it's RV Theory Six everywhere. I'm also on Parlor. If you're looking for a alternative to Twitter, that is, uh, you know, at least for the time being, unbiased. Uh, or you can just search the Ripple Effect Podcast. It's also um, the Ripple Effect Podcast dot com. Uh, you can listen to it. It's on all platforms in regards to uh, what you want, wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, all those spots. So uh, yeah, and connect with me. I also have a Ripple Effect Podcast Facebook page. And uh, I also have a personal Facebook page. If you want to connect with me, with me you can. Uh, just throw me a little message. Let me know that uh, you're not a robot or something like that. And uh, we <laughs> connect. And, uh, and I've been connecting with tons of fans and then tons of listeners and and um it's been really awesome to connect with people and many of them are starting their own shows which uh, i'm getting a lot of interview requests which I'm, I'm loving because it's like i i know a lot of people feel like well what the fuck man there's already so many podcasts why should i start it but there can never be enough i told charlie robinson this because he he was uh he, when he started his podcast macro aggressions he's like like we need another podcast i'm like charlie i'm like there can never be enough of us when there's so many of them and they're controlling everything. I'm like, the more podcasts and more content out there uh, spreading interesting conversations, it's like the better, you know? So everybody who wants to start a podcast, if you're listening to this, start one, you know, start one. And, um, you know, one of us will be your guest. We'll come on, right? And we'll talk to him and, uh, and, and we'll help, uh, you know, spark these conversations and, and really help mold, you know, people's perspectives. And, and or if anything else, just be curious people asking questions. Oh, perfect, man. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll catch you next time on The Paperboy.